Hi, Dr. Xanthi Mallet here. This week on Motive and Method, we're bringing you a very special interview with someone I've known for many years, Tracy Chapman. Tracy is the best friend of Kathleen Folbig, and if you've been following the news stories recently about Kathleen, you'll know that yesterday she was pardoned and released from prison. And this came as a bit of a surprise after 20 years. We were kind of hoping and waiting, and yet the news broke very quickly yesterday and all happened in a bit of a blur when it did. So momentous day yesterday. We were lucky enough to speak to Tracy a few weeks ago, so the story has developed since then. But Tim and I believe now more than ever in the importance of shedding light on the backstory and nuance around this case. It really is going to shake the criminal justice system to its core. We have a woman who's been vilified as being, you know, the most hated woman in Australia for the murder of three of her children and the manslaughter of a fourth. And suddenly, in, in what seems like a blink of an eye, she's gone to being somebody who's recognised to have been the, the victim of a very serious miscarriage of justice. So that's what we're going to be talking to Tracy about today. Let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Motive and Method. I'm Tim Watson Munro, criminal psychologist. And I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet, criminologist and forensic scientist. This week, we're speaking about the case of Kathleen Forbick. 20 years ago, she was found guilty of killing her four children, but an inquiry currently running will decide if she was actually wrongfully convicted. Today, we'll be speaking with Tracy Chapman. Tracy is a close friend to Kathleen, and I've actually known Tracy for a number of years Quite now. Years, yeah, like yeah. So I think since 2014, actually, yeah. when I first wrote about this case, Absolutely. when I saw problems. Um, and I was writing a book called Mothers Who Murder and Infamous Miscarriages of Justice. That's right. My crystal ball was on point. Yep. So Tracy and I have been in contact since then. Mm -hmm. um, I've met Kath a few times with Tracy. And today we're going to go back to the beginning of when Tracy met Kath, their friendship, bringing it through to the case, what happened um, with Kathleen and the children, and ultimately up to date and where we sit now. So it's going to be a very interesting chat. So welcome, Tracy. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you, Xanth. Absolutely. You're thing. clearly a great friend to have. You've known Xanth forever. And of course, <laughs> Kathleen. How far back does that friendship go? A long way, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. Uh, well, it's definitely primary school. You know, we're 56 this year, so, you know, 50 years. It's a long time. It is. Well, you're a great friend. It's been an extraordinary journey. Mm, very much so. Yeah, you said about crystal walls. I don't think either of us ever thought we'd be on this journey. <laughs> no, well, this is not a journey anyone ever expects. No. In fact, I think it's a unique journey in Australia, I think anywhere, I've never heard of a case like this where somebody's been accused and found guilty of murdering four children, a 20-year battle mm. to clear your name. Mm -hmm. And now in 2023, we're looking at that battle coming to a conclusion. Mm. And it is a real David and Goliath fight when you're wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted. And it takes quite a personality to keep battling for all those years and very strong supporters. You mm. need those champions on Absolutely. the outside. And you have been that champion. So tell us how this all started. You've been friends with Kath since you were little kids, like five, six years old, obviously very close. You knew Kath at the time, 1980s, 1990s, when she was married to Craig and she yeah. had the children. Yeah. Tell us about what that period of her life and, and your friendship was like. So after school, Kath meets Craig. I have to say there has been, there was the gap between Caleb, um, which was the, the child that I met and nursed and so on and so forth. You know, I kept through contact through my family because um, Kath was really close to my family. She always had said she wanted to be adopted by my family because <laughs> we were a noisy bunch of arguing. You know, there were four, four siblings and she loved the noise and the interaction. So, um, so I guess there's always been, even with the, the births and deaths, horridly, of the children, there was a contact with my family and I just kind of was so busy studying and working that I just heard everything through my mum. So, yes, I, I kind of got back in touch with Kath. 2003 was a train wreck year for most of our friends. It was one of those years that Kath was, had finally gone to trial after being, you know, she, she'd she been under investigation, you have to imagine, since 1999 and then it ramped up. So 2003 was kind of the, the tip 
of what was quite a big iceberg in terms of things that had happened to her. Um, when she was in on trial, uh, one of the friends that was supposed to actually speak, which is Megan Donegan, she was supposed to give evidence. She they they, they wouldn't fund an AVL back then because it was so expensive, so uh, she couldn't give a testimony, which she was heartbroken about. I had major health issues with a with a um, I was pregnant with a child, and then we've gone through that process. And I think I was in hospital as she was being sentenced. So I'd just given delivery to my son. We're both very ill after that birth. And then that's what triggered it. I, I kind of heard some nurses in my room talking oh. at, about the case and what they would do to her. And I was thinking wow. these nurses were saying that and where was the empathy and the person that I knew couldn't have done it. There's a parallel universe. Yeah. You have a background in science? Yeah, I, I studied environmental science. Yeah. So, because the interesting, one of the many interesting things about this case, of course, has been the the battles of the experts, if I could put it that way, mm. the, the initial expertise, the role of the experts. I'm an expert witness, but um, I'm very sceptical often about evidence that I see. And then ultimately the great irony is that uh, greater expertise has won through for her, it would seem. So let's go Let's go there actually because we kind of, we've moved, you, you obviously lost some contact with Kath during those years and then obviously picked that up again at that critical point in that 2003 mm -hmm. when she's found guilty. But leading up to that, we obviously have the 1980, late 1989 going through to like 1999 when sadly the four children died. Mm -hmm. And just for the listeners um, to give them the background, so all of the children, four children died um, over that period. They were around about two to three years apart in, in birth yes. dates, weren't they? Yes. And we have the two boys and then the two girls. And each child, when they died, had a medical cause of death. They were they were given the cause of death of SID, sudden mm -hmm. infant death syndrome, which is just an umbrella term. We don't understand why this mm. child died, but natural causes mm. is the main point. Mm. Natural causes. It was only the circumstance of the fourth child's death that made the pathologist go, this is unusual within one family. Mm. That's suspicious. Mm. And that was Dr. Carla did the post-mortem. Yes. Now, my concern, we, we raised expert witnesses. When I read that and I was looking at, you know, these cases, my concern with that is, as an expert, I've given expert evidence myself too, I'm also always very cautious to exclude anything extraneous from my evaluation because it can lead to unconscious or conscious bias. Bias. Mm. bias, yeah. And when I saw that Dr. Carla knew about the previous children's deaths and he knew about the diary entries, which mm. were very influential in the original case mm. in the trial, which we will come back to, mm. I was really concerned by that because he should only have looked at the, that case. the medical evidence in that case and he said that if he'd looked at that case in isolation, he would have ruled natural causes. That's a massive red flag Shocking. for me. Mm. Massive red flag. Mm -hmm. And that's where the suspicion began, wasn't it? It was where Dr. Carla said, you know, four children dying, that's suspicious. Mm. Yeah, and it's heinous. I mean, he, you know, through the first inquiry back in 2019, there was a big discussion for, for half a day or so about dirty thinking Mm. And, you know, it's a really important thing to think about because both the detective and the pathologist, the forensic pathologist, displayed dirty thinking, really. I mean, there was this great debate about the level of myocarditis mm -hmm. that was in Laura's heart yeah. because that's the thing. Inflammation of, of the heart tissue. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for Professor Stephen Corner, who's one of the, you know, foremost experts in Australia of SIDS deaths and, you know, for him to come out, he spent... A huge amount of time and, and wrote a report off his own back saying that, you know, Laura had died of myocarditis. He passed the slides around to a whole bunch of experts and they mm. all concurred. So he reviewed Dr. Carla's findings of Laura's mm. post-mortem yes. and concluded, like Dr. Carla would have done without mm -hmm. the pattern of the earlier deaths, yes. that it was natural causes. Absolutely. So in actual fact, we should never have been here. If Dr. Carla had done his job as an expert witness, as he should have done, as mm. in an expert to the course, unbiased yep. by anything extraneous. And excluding extraneous evidence. It's a fatal mistake. It is a fatal mistake, yes. And here, I don't, it's cost a woman like 20 years in prison because yes. he didn't do his job properly, yes. in essence. And I mean, there's got to be some discussions around this at some point in yeah, time, I agree. you know. Yeah. I, I, I Personally, I, I am quite upset by the whole 
process and that the system allows. Yeah. And and they seem to be a law unto themselves. There was no there was no umpire, if you like. Well, that's what cross-examination is for, but mm. I, I didn't see that in this case. No, I didn't, didn't see it. that challenge that he was clearly prejudiced by that other information. Mm. And so it was the circumstance of the four deaths. There was never any evidence of harm to the children demonstrating right. abuse. No strangulation. Or neglect. Yeah. No, and that was the odd thing to me too, that the conclusion drawn was, well, because we can't find evidence of how she killed these children, she must have suffocated them, right? Yep. And yep. it's like, well, okay, my Get problem with that is... Get evidence for that. Yeah. It's like, well, that's just what we're guessing. But I'm thinking, unless... I, I don't know how you suffocate somebody and leave no evidence. That is a very tricky thing to do. And to do it four times yeah. and leave no evidence and to leave nothing suspicious. There was never any witnesses to any harm of any of the children. Like, every, every alert was going off for me when I read this case. Yeah. And then I read about the diaries. And I was like... Even back then, I'd seen the excerpts from the diaries that were read out in the original trial. It's and a woman in grief. It was all. It was there was Obviously. always that possibility. Yes, she mm. spoke of grief. Yes, she spoke of guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there was always two ways to read it. You could read it from the perspective of a woman who'd intentionally harmed her children, although she never said that overtly in the diaries. You could also read it as somebody who's feeling de- deeply guilty for not being able to protect her children. Mm. It's called survivor guilt. And you often get it with post-traumatic stress disorder. I can't think of any events that could be nearly as traumatic as losing four children Mm. in these circumstances. So, you know, the expressions of guilt doesn't imply guilt in terms of I did it. It's I I should have seen it coming. What what more could I have done? Yeah. Mm. And that's the thing, you know, uh, going to the diaries for a moment because I've transcribed them multiple times. I've read the whole thing (laughs) now. Yeah, Yeah. It's kind of frustrating for me and it's something since the very beginning that's that's why I'm on this crusade because I could not believe that the so-called justice system was allowed to compile a bunch of evidence that actually went right past if they're saying the main part that convicted her was the diaries which mm-hmm. is what they said you which know, is re- it's looking into the mind which to me know. is like reading it's tea highly leaves subjective at best it's literally reading tea leaves it's yes. like reading somebody's diary exerting the bits that you think are the most reflective of guilt Cherry and picking. just and just present those to the jury uh-huh. let them read the whole thing yeah. Let them make up their own minds. Don't yeah. just cherry pick bits you think oh, can prove do guilt. It all the time. The other thing that struck me, and it, I see it a lot in the work that I do, that once one person accepts it, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. jump onto that trolley, and it almost becomes established wisdom and it's fact like a and dogma, truth. Almost absolutely yeah. dogma. And yeah. I, I've had all sorts of cases where people have said, "Look, I think it might be this." I can remember one years ago, Munchausen's by oh, proxy. Goodness, yeah. Oh, which you is, love that one. I yeah. can't mm. stand Munchausen's by proxy. Mm. It's so rare. Yeah. And Everything it, became Munchausen for a while. It was a yeah. social worker at a hospital in yeah. Melbourne. That's all I'm saying about it. I won't discuss the case, mm. but someone saw it on file notes and you trace the paper trail to eventually this psychiatrist said, well, this is a clear case of Munchausen's by proxy. It was all nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same process, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing with Kath's case, you know, Meadows Law has permeated oh. right from the day. You know, so the, just for our listeners, mm. tell us about Meadows Law. I mean, again, that was another trigger for me for this case because I knew when I started reading about this about Meadow, Professor Soroy Meadow yeah. in the UK, and what had happened before Kath's case oh, had been absolutely. heard. Before Kath's But case. tell us about Professor Soroy Meadows and his influence on this case. So he was a paediatrician and it was it's interesting because there's quite a few, I, I, there was like several hundred women I found out around the world in prison because of this man. Several hundred, he's had yeah, that big Yeah, yeah it was like 329. Yeah. It, was, you know, it was quite a huge number. And he had this, it became a dogma again. Yeah. Um, Meadows Law. Yeah, Meadows known. Law. Yeah. So one's a tragedy. Uh, this is uh, one death of a child is a tragedy. Two is suspicious. Two deaths of a child is children is suspicious. Anything more is murder until proven otherwise. Yep. And you just go, that is outrageous. But yeah. the the worst thing about this, and and you know, I'm I've followed this guy. You know, it, it went went in swings and roundabouts the whole process. But you know, the Sally Clark case was a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, and the when Kath was being put to trial. 
the um, CAS, you know, legal aid lawyers at the time, I remember they put in a like a stay, if you like, to mm-hmm. ask to wait for the trial to go ahead until after the mm-hmm. Sally Clark verdict because, uh, well, the findings of the inquiry because there was an inquiry launch for Sally Clark. So they wanted to find out what was going on. I'm pretty sure that's how it worked. And then go into this case because it was, it was you know, even though they didn't, they kept were very great pains, sorry I'm babbling here, great pains to say it wasn't Meadows Law. But, but clearly it was. It was still influential. <laughs> so <laughs> Professor Saroy Meadows was a very eminent paediatrician in the UK who gave evidence in a number of high-profile cases where women were accused of murdering their own children and they were found guilty. And there was a number that I think three or four that had gone to prison. Tripti Patel. Yes. Oh, Tripti Patel. She was going through the process but was found. She was Mm -hmm. not found guilty. She was the last one, I think, that was heavily impacted in the UK Mm -hmm. by Meadows directly. Mm -hmm. His evidence was totally discredited. He yeah. was struck off the the general medical For 12 months, register, yeah. although he appealed and was reinstated because apparently the general medical council aren't allowed to strike people off their own register. <laughs> Don't even ask me to explain that one. And that was because of his misleading, grossly misleading evidence. Yep. And so this had all happened. And and the great thing is, I, I I always go back to what happened. The the statistician that was looking at his statistics yes. asked him where all his evidence was, oh. and he said he shredded it. I was like, it's as bad as a dog eating their homework. So, well, a politician leaving Parliament House. Let's go to those stats. So the stats were also incredibly misleading. So mm. for anyone who doesn't understand stats, we'll keep it super simple. I happen to love stats. <laughs> what Sir Roy Meadows did was he took the likelihood of one child dying of sudden infant death in a family and times it by itself. So to take two variables, so we say it's, you know, 1.3, blah, 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 that one child will die. I'm going to times that by itself again. And that gives you the likelihood of two children dying. And when you ramp these numbers up, it sounds extraordinary. It's like mm. one in however many million. But it's false form. science, right? Because it's false maths. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because what we know about SIDS is there are all sorts of environmental and genetic mm-hmm reasons why children die of SIDS. We're never saying, we were never saying that these are totally disconnected events. Mm. And in fact, if you lose one child to SIDS, it's not that, you you know, it's going to be timed again randomly. They're not separate events. In fact, you're more likely to lose a second. Mm. And if you lose two, you're more That's likely it. to have lost a third. Because there may well be yeah. an underlying medical genetic cause in or, the family, right? Or something Absolutely. environmental. So mm. by the time you've lost two or three children, it's actually you're increasing your chances. And this evidence also existed at the time that Kath was being prosecuted Families, very similar demographics to the phobics to say you're actually predisposed to lose another child once you've lost one. So this fake stats that he was presenting in court saying, well, they're totally independent variables. You times them together. You get this massive number. That was what the jury heard. But the statisticians in the UK were so upset about this, they actually wrote to the government and said, this is false information. It's manifestly wrong. This is somebody who does not understand Mm -hmm. statistics. Yet he gave this in court many times. Do you think it was naivety or with um, malice? Who knows? That's I think it was. Well, Mm. I think it was pure Mm. arrogance. Mm. I think Mm. it was pure Mm. arrogance. And lack of understanding and lack of talking to anyone. I mean, that is real basic. Is it an independent or dependent variable? Mm. Sure. That's as basic for a statistician as it gets. Mm. And yet he was happy to give this evidence repeatedly in court and a number of women went to prison. Mm. And then when I heard here that people were going to prison here after he'd been struck struck off off because this was so manifestly wrong and misleading... I couldn't. I was blown away by that. I just could not believe it at the time that they went ahead with the trial, and there's still this outcome going on. And, and it was still in the background. Twenty like, well, years on. Yeah. Well, don't forget Meadows on. Law. Yeah. You know, and I was like, what? No, do forget Meadows Law. Or don't actually, forget let's... the Flat Earth Society in phrenology. It's exactly. It's just, it's nonsensical let's learn that, from Meadows right? Law, actually. Mm. But I saw that influence in Kath's prosecution. It's still there. I know. I heard it in the inquiry still... the other day. They were still talking about Meadows Law. Yeah. I was shouting. At, I was what, live streaming yeah. and I was shouting at my at the computer. I was like... It's so shocking. frustrating that it we're is. still talking about Meadows Law. Yeah. There was a great um, moment, though. I think it was the... I think it was the forensic intensivist that was actually talking about Cass' case, and he was he was saying that 
you know, it's what you were saying before, Tim, about the the fact that there were never many marks on the children. You know, mm. if if there had been a history of child abuse, someone would have picked it up. It's not like they tried to paint this picture of a woman that snapped her cog and just was relatively normal. And this is this is fair dinkum. Like to me, it was just how ridiculous from a psychology perspective. But they were they were implying that Kath just travels along in life. It, she's normal, and then all of a sudden. Snaps. She snaps. And, and then, then goes normal again. Yeah. And then snaps. Yeah. No, and this is real. Yeah. This is yeah. exactly what they tried to paint. But uh, there was this brilliant moment in the inquiry where the, where the intensivist says, you know, Kath, you know, if she'd have done what they're saying she'd done, she was way better than all of the, you know, yes. anaesthetists that I've ever worked with yes. to leave no trace. And that is just unfathomable. Like, Yeah, I don't know that it's possible to suffocate somebody, to smother them and leave no traces. Especially with teeth. and Yeah, you know, yeah absolutely. And there was struggle. never evidence of healed fractures, for example, that would have been evidence of past trauma or bruise. There was nothing, and nothing. I think one of the most horrid moments, and it sort of came up again in this second inquiry, but the first inquiry for sure, when when Carla was on, because everything was done in blocks in the forensic pathology week, Carla has been questioned and he admits that he did a second autopsy on Laura and he couldn't remember who was in the room with him, of course. But, but Wouldn't he, that be listed somewhere, who was in the room? <laughs> well, Apparently not. found but, its way to the, the other shredder. <laughs> so, but he's done this facial autopsy on Laura and that's mm-hmm. important because you know she's 19 months so old or something spe- and she's got teeth he's specifically looking for signs of suffocation yep. and there was this moment and nobody picked it up where I think counsel assisting asked him and what did you find and he said I found nothing well, there you go so no evidence of suffocation but we can't find anything else that's the most bizarre hypothesis I've mm. ever Hashtag heard. Hashtag Meadows Law. And and this yeah. is this is exactly this is as serious Hatch- as it gets. This is a woman accused of four counts of murder, found guilty of three and a manslaughter. But to have no evidence mm. and yet to find her guilty is is astonishing. Mm. So 2003, obviously, she's found guilty. You then re-engage because of what's been going on in your life and obviously you you see, you know, some of these issues already emerging Red with flags. the dialogue around Absolutely. this in the public. Without getting into your head too much about that, but was it your scientific training, your friendship, was it a sort of confluence of those things that motivated you to become Probably involved? a combination of everything. Yeah. But, it, you know, there was also a, <laughs> a gross naivety around the the, the <laughs> law as well, the judiciary. And, and you had no idea what was coming. <laughs> oh, no. The next 20 years of your life, you had no clue. <laughs> and I didn't know what we could access. It was kind of like, you know, I hate to say it, like Kath would say it's not clueless, but I did. I felt like this clueless support for a long time, you know, as you said, you know, I have a certain amount of knowledge. I can't process, you know, I've got good critical thinking skills and I can't, for the love of me, with the limited amount of information I can access, Mm. you know, process that she could have done this. And then I start talking to Kath and I ask her really hard questions. I ask her the painful questions. As only you could, I would imagine, as a Mm. very lifelong friend. Mm. And she, there is one of the letters actually that was handed up to the inquiry and she just says, um, I, you know, lucky I don't, what'd she say? Something like, I don't, lucky I don't get insulted or upset easily these days because it's not much worse than being called a serial killer. Yeah. And she says, so I'll try and answer your questions about the diaries. And, and then yeah. she explains what her perspective was from them and why. And it all made perfect sense to me. And what was her perspective? Are you allowed to share? I mean, they were handed oh, yeah, up yeah. for the inquiry. I mean, but. anyone anyone listening on this podcast, if they're interested to, can go to the second inquiry. And there's about 135 pages of my letters up there. I was quite mortified at first because all I was thinking is, oh, they're redacted because there's lots of personal information. But, but um, you know, there's a lot of information available for people to look at. And it's an interesting analysis. I mean, you're a psychologist. So you would be looking at people's behaviour and that, for me, 20 years exchanged of letters and, you know, we weren't going to go on a second inquiry. If they, if they didn't do the diaries the way we wanted them done, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So because I said right from the beginning and after, after Kath is convicted, I start doing all the research and I see James Pennebaker father of modern day journaling, I start buying textbooks and start reading Mm. psychology books and stuff because I see this is a thing and 
then I start to get mad because I just, you know, I'd, I'd already told or I already spoken to people about the case and, you know, the legal aid lawyers about what are they going to do with the diaries because I could see this was an issue and they just said no one was going to take them seriously. How but wrong. that needed to be unpacked because that yes. was the key feature that led to the conviction. Absolutely. That's part of that systemic thing I was talking about, that it becomes conventional wisdom that it's irrelevant, we don't need to look at mm -hmm. it, it's an established truth, when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. And that's where the complexities lie because the prosecutor is able to craft a narrative to get the experts and they flattened those experts. There was like, I think it was 19 scientific experts no diary experts, as in psychology, mental health, and that was my bugbear. I was on a warpath after that. But so you've got this situation where Cass' legal team is actually fighting to have things brought in, but they really haven't got the power to really argue so much. And and so things just you, you're riding a wave, a prosecution wave. Really. So she's had she had one appeal there after two thousand and three, which was two thousand and five, unsuccessful. Yeah. Then the inquiry. Well, that, that was two thousand and seven. The High Court challenge that was, um, I think, that took twenty minutes. Yeah, to, that was unsu yeah, obviously that was unsuccessful as well. Yeah. And then we came right the way through forward to two thousand seventeen. Things yep. started so to change. So there was a report put in a, a request for you know uh, this extra process of an inquiry or something to happen. So that was the Newcastle. Yes. Yes. See, that's interesting to me because obviously I'm now at University of Newcastle and I got like involved by, via you and, you know, Sean after McCarthy. the book. And then I moved to Newcastle 2017 and found out that the Newcastle Law School have been working on this case mm -hmm. since 2014 when, again, it was very unpopular. And I've spoken to Sean McCarthy at, at work. He's, mm -hmm. We're now both in the, law, the School of Law and Justice together. And he said, you know, he used to get a lot of grief um, about this case. Like people he knew would be like, why are you working on this? <laughs> Even as a lawyer, people are mm. saying to him, why are you working on this case? Because of a personal attitude towards Kath? Yes. Mm. Yet because they were so embedded in the, the you know, she's killed What's these four the children. She doesn't deserve any support, any questions to be raised. And I was talking to him just the other day about this. And he was very surprised at that because he's a lawyer. It's mm. his job to ask questions. But in this case, people wanted it shut down. They absolutely did. And so that's been a big journey for them too. And they're obviously still involved in this process, you know, through Rani mm -hmm. uh, Rajo, who's a, a member of the law school doing a PhD mm -hmm. at Newcastle. So, you know, that was, that was 2017 things. They've been pushing for that for mm -hmm. a, a few, few years. years. And, and they'd inserted Dr. Shamila Betts's mm. um, report because Shamila Betts had followed the case through Dr. Emma Carnley, yep. who did her PhD on Kath's case. Um, well, it was basically looking at mothers and murder again, and she wrote Murder, Medicine and Motherhood. So then we've Great got... Great book, by the way. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Read about the, yeah, read about the case. Read yeah, read that. It's yep. a, it's a, and it's a good lesson in how not to get back to this point, yes, I think. exactly. It's not finished because we've seen a lot happen. I've always said she's got to write part two now, yeah. um, which is not Murder, Medicine and Motherhood. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um, but we've got this situation where you've got the likes of Shamila Betts, like Dr. Shamila Betts, no one was listening. No one wanted to hear. No one wanted to hear. Yeah. That's the point. No yeah. one, nobody in the criminal justice system wanted to hear. Nobody in the public wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. But obviously she has her champions. She mm -hmm. had you. She mm -hmm. had University of Newcastle Law School, as yeah. was then. And you've got to have that. Of all the cases I've looked at where miscarriages have been overturned, the exoneree or whatever the outcome has been has always had a champion on the outside mm. because it's impossible for that person to keep fighting without that on their own. They haven't got access to anything. They yeah. don't have any pressure points to That's leverage. That's right. Absolutely. Or she, resources. Or res no resources. It's it's impossible for them. Mm. But obviously she's got she's got you. But this mm. is now a long battle. This is a 14-year battle by the time we get to 2017. Yes. And there's still a few years to go. Obviously, nobody knew that at That's the time. Right. Then 2017, we get this reports being handed down. What was the next step? Um, so we've had the inquiry. Uh, the, that process was just a train wreck, I have to say. Mm. Like 2019 yeah, inquiry. Yeah, yeah I was, was there with that yeah, for that one. That yeah, was yeah. one of the most Surreal. bizarre legal mm. outings I've ever seen. Sitting in that inquiry, it was not run like any inquiry I've ever seen. Mm. To me, it felt like the purpose was to demonstrate that she there was no reasonable doubt. 
And most of the people probably listening to this, uh, you know, into all the technical stuff. So uh, when that Sean McCarthy, that application went in, there was Dr. Shamila Betts' report and you've got a very clear question being asked about um, or a request to have the diaries analysed in the proper context We've got mental in health then trying to be pushed way. in. Exactly. The but whole diary, not just the mm, excerpts. Not the that, cherry picking. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have this extraordinary moment. I was only looking over them the other day, all the preliminary hearings, because I was trying to work out what was the moment that it went from actually going from proper mental health analysis, which is what Kath and I were hopeful for and excited about, to actually then being listening to... All they wanted to hear was Kath yep. speaking about her diaries, which was absurd. I just kept saying to her, that is the most absurd thing because, you know, you can't make logic out, appear out of anything illogical, which is mm. a brain dump because she's always said, I just use them to help me get clarity. Well, and that's, and what, vent, that's what they're for. That's what some people use them Absolutely. for. And so going into the proper analysis on what diaries were, there was this very clever moment where Blanche in one of the preliminary hearings. This is a nine, 2019 inquiry. Yep. So we're at August 2018. It's a preliminary. And he says we want, he, he totally bypasses Shamila Betts' stuff. Yeah. And he says, we want to hear from Kathleen Volbeck if she wishes to give evidence. Mm-hmm. The important part there is that if Kath, if Kath hadn't have said, yes, I'd stand up and, you know, go under adversarial cross-examination, which they said wasn't adversarial. Because it was meant to be an inquiry, not a trial. That's yeah, right. It so it's meant to be a fact-finding mission. Yeah. Rather totally than, adversarial. Yes, yes. Well, that was the moment that I went, oh, hang on a second, because this is not going to allow mental health experts in yep. the room. And then they doubled down on that. And so you get this situation where we get this two and a half days at the end of the inquiry where the diaries are tacked on, but it's not what you think. It's not going to be experts in the room. Analysing the detail. Or asking questions. Hmm. You've got one of the leading prosecutors in the state take, leading an adversarial cross-examination. I remember that. It was brutal. I remember that. And yeah. ridiculous at the yeah. same time. And what I also remember about that inquiry was that was the first time we'd heard about the genetic mutations. Mm-hmm. And f- again, for anyone listening, so what had been discovered, was it, I think it was 2018, a group of international scientists looked at all of the children's DNA sequences and determined that Sarah and Laura had a genetic mutation which could explain early death in children and they felt that that was obviously it's objective it was published in a high-ranking peer-reviewed journal it's been looked at by scientists all over the world and none of these experts have any skin in this game that's right they look just at this objectively the data the data they mm-hmm. have this mutation. It's an immutable fact. Yep. Right? At and it was stage. in one of the, it was an A-grade journal. It was a know. very high-ranking <laughs> journal. Doesn't no get No dissension. None. 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 Now, that evidence <laughs> was entered into court because, remember, it's the death of four children, the pattern that caused the issue. Mm-hmm. Now, a group of eminent scientists, world-leading scientists, are saying there's a genetic mutation, there's a natural, there's an alternative natural cause of death which we can demonstrate, which is replicable. People can look at this data and see for themselves. In two of them. In two, and we still don't know about the boys. It's not that we're saying that they don't have a different mutation, but that's still being investigated. So this was the first time that evidence, forensic scientific evidence, was entered into court. And it was basically ignored. He ignored it. And then the report itself, that paper, the Europace paper that you're talking to, talking about, didn't come out till later that year. But they had already compiled the data and they're trying to Correct. table that. Yeah. And, and he won't nope. open... Because nope. technically the inquiry had closed, but because it's such a key piece of evidence, they were just saying, you should hear this yep. because this is an important explanation and a highly credible one. And... He, he wouldn't open. And it takes, it paints a totally different picture because once you take out two of the children's well, death, there's no pattern. And I'd have to even say... Even Meadows would struggle with that. E- even Meadows and his, his wonderful statistical knowledge would struggle, mm. you know, struggle yeah. with that one. But I was always concerned that the four deaths were added together as a pattern anyway. Well, that's a big, big thing. Because one in, all in, one out, all yeah, out. It's like it's each child had been given a natural cause of death and yet now it suits us to add them all together. Mm-hmm. If they'd each been tried independently... It wouldn't have got up. It wouldn't have got up. Yeah. 
There were so there were so many problems, and we talk now about yes, there's reasonable doubt in this case. There was always reasonable doubt, and that's an important point, Xanthi, because there was this moment when um, Ryan and that uh, before a trial had even been thought about, when they were trying to raise, you know, say that this should go to trial. The DPP in Newcastle actually said, "There, it's not going to get up," and they went higher, and so and the rest is history. Yeah. But it's despicable. It is despicable what mm. happened. Mm. So that inquiry, I sat there and I remember you were in the room and I just remember looking around at the faces as what was going on and the way it was being managed. And I, I was totally bemused mm. by what had happened. The exclusion of the scientific evidence, the inclusion of diaries, asking Kath on the stand to read from her diaries. I was mm. like, and what purpose is this solving? By reading non-experts, yeah, just reading out parts of the diary. Well, it colours it. You say it did colour it, and, and that's, that's what it's about. And it's it felt strategy. the whole purpose was to say at the end. So the outcome to me was clear. Sitting in there, absolutely, at the time, was, I was like, well, clearly it's going to be found that there's no reasonable doubt, and yeah. that's exactly what happened yeah. when the findings were handed. The down. amount of times that um, Maxwell and Canine told her what she was thinking was gobsmacking like they they asked the same question like 90 odd times at one stage it was just that constant eating away eating away it was a, it was a courtroom strategy mm-hmm. and Cass I was so proud of her as my friend I was just so proud of her sitting there just giving it back she held her own she did and after you know all this time in prison you got to remember you know all these ups and downs mm-hmm. every new appeal every new inquiry every new report the scientific evidence I know that you've been thinking, as I have over these years, like, at what point is someone going to start listening Mm -hmm. to this? It can't keep going on. And Mm. then it did. I was like, this is mind-blowing now that we're still here, you know, in in the 2020s. And the whole process was disgraceful because I remember the report didn't take that long, Blanche's report, to come out. It was a few weeks, wasn't it, I think? Oh, it was like... Three weeks It might have been six weeks or something. Was it that long? Yeah, yeah, it was. But even that process was despicable. And we mm. say it's not a political move, but Mark Speakman was in the UK, I think. Uh, he I, was the Attorney General yeah. in New South Wales at the time at before the, time. the change yeah. of government. And I get a tip-off of a journalist and they're telling me they've just heard that um, a, a report's going to be handed down. Now I start ringing around the legal team and, and various people that are in the know and sure should be in the know. No one knew a damn thing. So we get to six o'clock and I ring the jail and I just say, I think something bad's going to go down. I didn't have a good feeling at this. Mm-hmm. So trying to get support for Kath because right. I just thought this is, this is bad, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you've got to have that empathy to be able to support her because, you know, it's just this horrible environment to be in. So, And I want to talk to you mm. about that environment because I think most of our listeners are not mm. going to really realise what it's like for somebody First of all, in prison, a high security, Mm -hmm. maximum security prison, Mm -hmm. um, a secure unit because the nature of the crime can't be with the main population. That would be unsafe. But I don't think people really understand what it's like and what it's been like for her for the last 20 years. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about what life has been like for Kath in prison and what it's still like Mm. in prison? It's an interesting place. I don't think she's had silence as such for a very long time, you know, because even when you're in that environment, it's concrete floors. It's echoey. Yeah, you've got these, you know, stainless steel, everything's echoing. You've got a lot of women together with most seem to display mental health issues, which is a big issue in itself. I worked in Parramatta Jail 45 years ago as a psych Mm -hmm. and uh, I used to go out to the old Mullawa Jail. Oh, Mullawa, yes. And I said at the time, Mullawa is much worse than Parramatta, which was considered to be an end-of-the-line multi-recidivist maximum security jail, Mm -hmm. but Mullawa was something else. Yeah. And uh, I don't think it's changed all that much, no, really. I, I spend a bit of time out at Malawa. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting place. And mm. I, I guess that's the thing for us. Like I, I professionally, I'd, I'd had some level of interaction with the prison system. But when you're going in... Because you, you studied psychology after Well, science. I did a business degree, so I did a, a few units of psych, you know, because you have to do all your organisational psych. And we did psych one, I think, as a choice, blah, blah, blah. So I've got an interest <laughs> in all of that. And I probably should have gone back and finished my psych degree because I was, you know, it's like you you taste law as well. You do a year of law and I was just going, 
but cascades has blown yeah. me out of the water. I just go, no. Nah. Well, it's kind of taking You've over your life in a way. You've become an expert in both, though, haven't you? In <laughs> yeah. psychology and yeah, law, Yeah, well, I'm doing a master's in psychotherapy and mental health. Uh, oh, like, great. Uh, psych- um, yeah, counselling at the moment. And mm. mainly because I'm just too old and I can't be bothered doing another six years. <laughs> Although <laughs> so, like, you're thinking of doing a PhD after yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just going that whole route of going and starting again and then doing a PhD. I think I'll be too old. But. Um, but yeah, can I tell you, you're never too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the University of Third Age, um, and I will be. I'll be on a Zoom and frame. Well, but I'll, I'll it, still be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you. I'll take you. <laughs> Doctor Mallet will be there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, it's been an interesting journey. That whole like when I first went in, and I think Megan Donovan might have been with me because I, I always say it's not just me. I'm part of a team. Helen Cummings. We've got. You know, mm. Alana House, Megan Donegan, there's kind of, and yes, Helen came in sort of 10 years or 12 years after we had this process start, but it doesn't matter. They're, you cannot do this alone. Mm-hmm. It's very important. You know, I've, I've, you know. Well, you need support. Absolutely. And it must have been quite a process for you too over 20 mm. odd years. I was a total numpty with the law before. Like, I didn't know. I remember that when I first read Emma Cunliffe's book, I had to sit there with a law journal, mm-hmm. a, yeah, yeah. a dictionary, because yeah, yeah. I didn't know the words. I didn't know a lot of the words. And I'm reading this this book and I had to read it three times to really understand it. But when I did, I was I was there were so many moments in the in the footnotes where I'm going, I didn't know I could go and access that. Yeah. I didn't know I could. so she empowered me mm. to to really step up a notch. So because you are, like you said, you, you were saying before, you're kind of a paper tiger, really, for a long time. Yep. No one no one listens to you except all you're saying is, my friends, yep. you know, yep. Yep. my yep. friend's innocent, blah, blah, blah. And you're getting death threats. It's well, was, yeah. that was my next question. Yeah. You two have paid a big emotional, psychological price for this, getting yep. death threats. Mm-hmm. People sort of... Um, I've been followed. Yep. Had, Very, oh, yeah. So many. Like yep. the death threats, some of them have been so graphic. Yeah. Yep. It's just appalling. And I used to say to people, you know, when they, they I, you know, people say ignore them, but... You it's, know, yeah, that, that's easier said than done. Yeah. And, and I always just said, you know, see my friend in prison... Would never even have those thought processes right, yeah. in their yeah. head. Yeah, they the woman who's in prison for multiple murder, yeah, would never even imagine what these people are saying. No, and yeah. they're walking around in the general yeah. public. It's scary. It is scary. Were they ever apprehended or not? No. Oh, I had an incident once where I had a uh, red light on my chest. For, oh, whoa. And it wasn't about cast case. It was, well, it, it may have been indirectly, but he never so said. So this is a laser? Yeah, uh, a sight, yes. Yeah. And, and so I rang the police station near me and, and the guy goes, did he pull the trigger? Well, clearly not. That's an intelligent question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's wow. the police officer. And you just, I just said, well, mate, the way it, it was positioned, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. And then it'd be it murder. Was positioned at my like, heart. Duh. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so we that's what you're dealing with. Speaking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the level of vitriol. But I guess mm. I'm, I'm curious, actually, because whenever I've spoken about Cass Case in the media or Kelly Lane, mm-hmm. I used to get hammered by trolls. Yeah. Absolutely hammered. And they want to silence you. That's they the do. point. And I got some very nasty emails, very graphically violent emails as well, just like threatening. And it, yeah, it can be intimidating. And I used to think about my workplace, totally open, people could wander in my office door. If you shut it, then it locked from the inside. So somebody couldn't come in from the corridor. And my desk was against the other wall with my back to the door. I used to think about it's all horrible, these things because you yeah. feel very vulnerable. Mm. Has that stopped though for you? Because recently, when I've talked about Kath's case, it's obviously you know been back in the media. Like, I haven't had any negativity at all. There's been a total shift. Well, there's been a sea change of attitude. Absolutely. Mm. Even from my students who are like mm. 18, mm. they Wonderful. know about this case Wonderful. and it's changed. So have, has that stopped for you, that level of vitriol that you were suffering? There is still an element of it there. That and yeah, diehard portion. Yeah. And it's mainly on social media. But that said, I do get the odd text message and that because, you know, I've, I feel the best way to talk through this case with people is... I've always made myself really available because mm. I, I I feel it's my duty to help people, not sway them in a in a educate them way. Yeah, just I educate them. I've got an education background. It's in it's yeah, in yeah. my DNA. Me too. Yeah. You know, so you just can't help. But like I'll talk to people, but I won't argue if you're not listening. 
then it's not my problem, it's your problem. So I've always taken that approach. But if you have questions, come to me with those questions. But, you know, recently I've had, you know, a few comments and stuff on text messages and stuff that still is hostile. But has it changed generally? Generally, yeah. Yeah. It's been been incredible. And has Kath experienced a shift in prison? Because obviously life was very tough. And she was... She was well known too, and mm. that is a bad thing in prison. You Absolutely. do not want to be a celebrity yep. inmate. That yep. makes you a target, and mm-hmm. she—we know she's been targeted before. She's been hurt before. Mm-hmm. Has her experience that's obviously been very difficult in prison and very challenging, and you know, there's been elements of violence towards Absolutely. her. Has that shifted since this yeah. this whole kind of rhetoric outside? Has changed too. There was this moment um, a few years ago when she went to Clarence, and I have to say, Clarence Correctional Facility, you know, people bag Soko out, but they've been absolutely amazing in this whole process since Kath went there. And I have to say that because they have. I've never had any bad experiences with them, and they're really transparent. Is it air conditioned? Ah, yes. Mm. <laughs> Which is actually important. Yeah. Well, it's a, a draft and it's in the Northern River. It's hot, rivers. that's no, right. It's hot. Yeah, yeah, that's a basic requirement. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. mm. So we've got um, these moments where Cather's originally attacked yes. when she first got there. So that was terrible. But she was in a holding area. It mm. was kind of like cattle class open, kind of stuff. Open, yeah. yeah. And, and they're in a holding area before they work out where they're going to send someone. So she was attacked. There was word that that was actually going to happen. Cath's made instinct was just to protect other inmates because there were some really vulnerable young women and she was worried about them. So they've gone up stairs and then they've targeted Kath and ran into her room and kicked her down and beat her and blah, blah, blah. So that was terrible. But Kath then is in a secure area like you were Mm -hmm. talking about before. And then there's this wonderful moment where she gets to go out into, it's still maximum security, but Serco, the that facility had these amazing dorm-style living quarters. And we were talking for the longest time whether she should go out into them, would they let her. So she put in an application. For her own safety. That's it right. It might be at risk. Well, That's right. potentially very dangerous. But there was this wonderful moment and and um, I've, I've got it at home in safekeeping for Kath where they made a handmade book. The other inmates. And they all sent her messages that she would be safe and oh. that they wanted her out. Wow, I've then. never heard of that. I've before. never heard of that too. Like that's never. incredible. Mm. So yeah. when? How long ago was that? Yeah, you, that was my oh, <laughs> When was this? Because I'm curious to know whether this is reflecting what's going on in the outside. Well, there was uh, last year, and uh, you know, there's probably multiple reasons why it happened. But most of the women actually got removed from Clarence um, at, at, around the week before Christmas last year. So Kath's now back in a cell living condition, so a secure area within a secure area mm. because there's only 15 or 20 women left now. Most of the women went around the So state. she's on protection, if you can say. Yeah, but it's not – well, yes. I mean, all women are now yeah. protected because there's only a handful yeah, of them, really. You know? yeah. So because the, the dorm area where she was – is full of men now. Oh, sure. Okay. Right. Mm. So it's just all of the women are in together. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time when these women wrote this this beautiful book and welcomed her. Yeah. The, yeah. So that was probably, I'm trying to think, it must have been probably 18 months, two years ago yeah. maybe. So it's again, that would have been when things like we've got after the 2019 yeah. inquiry yeah. and we're moving forward. So maybe they even saw that shift and... You know, she's mm. no longer being attacked and beaten up in a cell. We've now got these women writing it, putting a book together. That is amazing. That, that happened a few months after she was beaten up. So um, so she's out of that area. She's gone into protection. She was in protection for quite some time. So then there's this exploration of wanting some normality. And I, I said, I think it's really good for you. If they'll let you go then you should go. Because and did she go? Yeah, she yeah, did. Nice. And and it was just a revelation Without for her. problems. Yeah, without any problems and no problems at all. And so it was a much nicer place to be. It's nowhere near as noisy as it is now because the cell living is hard. Like I've been talking to her on and off, well, I speak to her every day, but there's a couple of inmates um, and I don't believe they're there as of last week or something, but 
Oh, every phone call was just like you could hear women screeching and yelling in the background. It's that perpetual noise you're describing. Absolutely. And stress. It's never still or quiet in a prison. It's never. Yeah. And it's just so – it reminds me like of a kennels. Mm. You know, like if you've ever been to a dog kennels. Yeah, like exactly If you're taking your dog to kennels for the – you know, when you're yeah. going away, really high intensity, high intensity barking, stress. Yeah, and it's the same for me when I've been to correctional facilities. You can just – feel that tension you can feel it from the guards anything could happen at any moment it's that constant looking over your shoulder and that you know anxiety that underlying anxiety and I can't imagine living like that mm. I can still recall the first day I worked worked and walked into a prison in Parramatta jail in August 78 I can still remember the vibe the wolf whistles the smell of Lysol mm-hmm. and this kind of sense of danger everywhere just it's quite extraordinary and it's sad because if we're you know it's supposed to be a place of reform yes um, well that's well, the, the intention the punishment isn't is a it? deprivation of liberty we've oh, discussed sure. this many times for and sure. but not you don't go there then for extra punishment yeah no, that's right. yeah and, uh, it's meant to be rehabilitative yeah and give people the opportunity to rehabilitate fully when they're released yet they come out institutionalized because it's such a bizarre stressful intense environment mm. what's the future for Kathleen we're, we're all optimistic. What, what's the oh, plan? So optimistic. Finally, finally <laughs> optimistic. Um, look, it, she has to be freed at some point. Um, I, I would be really upset if it stretched the next five years, um, you know, to, into a crazy banshee kind of thing because I've realised <laughs> I can, you know. I think there'll be a lot of crazy notch. banshees yeah. <laughs> if she's, still, if she's well, still incarcerated in five years. I'll be with you being a crazy your banshee. you limit, haven't you? Really? Yeah, 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 I have. And, and that's the thing. We've sort of gone... There's reasonable out. That was our measure. And that was accepted. Yeah. The other day, that was Unanimously. The DPP, I've never heard anything like it, when the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions, came out and said that they accept that the inquiry is likely to find this reasonable doubt. I was like, boom, yeah. mic drop. Yeah. What else do we need? So Sophie Callan and her team finding reasonable out and then the DPP saying, you know, they're all very careful only mentioning at trial. Yes. Nothing previous, yes. of course, because that's a train wreck and no one wants to go there, but we will. So, but in that moment, I just, I was sitting there, I had tears running down my so face. So this was the council assisting yeah. the trial fact. Yeah. Yeah, it said there's reasonable doubt. Yeah. And yes. so you just go, wow, that's our matinee jacket moment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's. I thought it was a slam dunk yeah. when I heard that. I thought genuinely that was on the Thursday when mm-hmm. the inquiry closed for evidence and it was all mm-hmm. done. I thought she'd be out the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when that happens, let's stay positive. Mm-hmm. What's the future for her? I think I read somewhere she may come up and live in your She's place. She's coming to uh, live with me. Right. So we've built her a flat. She's got a place. Because, you know, once her relationship broke down, you know, um, the ex-husband got everything. And I mean mm. everything. So she's literally going to walk out after 20 years. Mm-hmm. With a zip. With not a penny to her Nothing. name. Nothing. Oh, we've got, uh, we found a start. bit of superannuation, which isn't bugger all. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, whatever she saved in prison, which is, you know, not a great deal. Yeah, of course. And, um, and whatever we've, you know, be borrowed and pulled together for her in terms of a wardrobe, I've told her, like, I know it's not going to be perfect, but at least you've got civvies to walk out in. Yeah. And a comfortable bed and... Yeah. And lots of animals. Yeah. All, all the animals that yeah. I know that you've That's got right. at your place. Yeah. And without speaking about her, I'm very mm. careful I don't want to do that, mm. but speaking on the basis of, you know, thousands of people I've assessed over the years who have been released from long-term custody, for those people, there's inevitably a period of adjustment. Absolutely. And uh, she's very fortunate to have your love and support because a lot of people don't get that. And I think it's going to be particularly hard in this case because if we unpack that, we've got 20 years of incarceration. The world has shifted on its axis in the last 20 years. She's gone from total vitriolic, you know, expression towards her to now being, you know, people being on board with the fact she didn't do anything, but she'll still be grieving for those four children, she's never or hasn't had a sufficient assistance with that grief That's process. That's exactly right. We've she's got still going to go gonna have to work through the grief, mm-hmm. the deprivation of her liberty, the yep. stress and anxiety well, she's been through for 20 years. years. Of your life gone, you mm-hmm. know. Trying yeah. to integrate into a new world as, as mm-hmm. we are now in 2023, that's going to be an extraordinary feat. 
But having met Kath a few times, and I know you pretty well, mm -hmm. if anyone can do it, Kath can. Yeah, yeah. And she's not alone. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. I think that's the the important thing. And I always, you know, go back to Tedeschi at trial, painting a picture of a woman that had no friends, that was totally isolated. Well, you know, what a load of bollocks. So, you know, <laughs> the absolute opposite. But then we've got to measure that. We don't want to give her a tsunami of, of love course. because I'm not sure she's going to actually be able to. But there's also the, the media attention that is inevitably oh, going to come. And that I know that we've spoken about. That's mm. going to have to be managed very carefully because it's going to be overwhelming. This is a case that mm. has, it won't just like obviously rocket around Australia. It has global significance. It this does. Case. It does. And it's put the whole criminal justice system in Australia under the spotlight. It's like, how can we keep this woman in prison? When and we know on notice, I would suggest. I think on notice. Mm. The world is watching. Mm. It's like the judiciary, the government, they have to listen. Otherwise, this is deeply humiliating. And then they've got to, we've got to have change. Yes. Well, uh, that's my yes. point. You know, we've yes. got to learn from this. So yep. these kinds of issues are not revisited with other people in the future. Yeah. Yep. Because if they don't do that, we learn nothing. It's bound to happen again mm -hmm. at some point. And this is a discussion that's more broad, but a case where we need a criminal case Absolutely. review, an independent criminal case review for exactly this reason. Because if we'd had one, like mm -hmm. they have in the UK, they've had one mm -hmm. for like 26 years, New Zealand. Canada, New Zealand, yeah, yeah. they have these and they're entirely independent of the judiciary. They're not political. Mm -hmm. This would not have, even if she were found guilty, yeah, this could have, have been. Yeah, there would have been a process yeah. back in the early 2000s yeah. to review this correctly. Yeah. And for me, I think that's the next big push. Lots of people are talking about it. It's going to be unpopular politically. Tough. Exactly. <laughs> it's like that's what we need to ensure this never happens well, also again. Also, that there's real justice. Yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. know, we've seen. The, it can happen again. We've seen the Lindy Chamberlain case. Yep. The, the similarities in this case are quite interesting when you start mm. to look at them. And then you've got the, the Keogh cases. You know, there is other cases yep. around Australia. So I don't want anybody else to have to go through this. It's an industry. It's probably kept a lot of people in work, but it's wasted a lot of taxpayer money. You can't say that it hasn't been in vain because, you know, science has come ahead the melding of science and law is a beautiful thing and I can't wait for that to, to be explored further mm -hmm. and it must be <coughs> embedded. So we're going to have to have those tough conversations. So nothing will have been in vain for us. We will yeah. actually keep pushing forward for change. But that's what well, we need. Well, you've resurrected something out of an absolute train wreck mm. yep. for, for a person and yep. I guess that's a takeaway. But it... It doesn't take away what she has been through. No, but it can't be for nothing. No, yeah. no, I, that's my point. Yeah, it yeah. cannot be, it for can't be for nothing. It won't be for nothing, I can tell you now. Mm. That's the thing. Kath goes, gosh, I'm tired. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just said, I, I have to finish this, like yeah. you were saying before. I've got to dot those I's, cross yeah. those T's. Yeah. You cannot rest until that's done. Kath will have her proper mental health support. You know, right. So we'll, Kath can she yep. can go on with her life and mm -hmm. the next step is to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else again because we need accountability, we Absolutely. need transparency and that's what the next big push and is because that's been so lacking in this case. That's right, yep. And I have a lack of transparency and the the arrogance of the system has done my head in yeah. and we, we need to put this on a level playing field that law and justice is accessible for all. I thought that's what this was supposed to be, but it's been anything but that. And then you've got the arrogance of the politicians. They have way too much power in this regard. And they keep saying it's not a political decision, but they are, it is. Ultimately default. it is. Yep. It's totally driven by the expectation that the electorate it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling thing for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's um, the importance of the Criminal Cases Review Commission because it depoliticises And that's it. what yeah. we need to do. And I think that's the next big push. So that's the next journey, isn't it? It's like oh, yeah. 20 years, we'll, 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 but it will not take 20 years. I, oh, please don't let it take 20 years. No. But I think this can be a real push. Yeah. This can be the impetus to the say lessons learned. we need change. If there's any, any evidence that we need change, this is it. Wasn't Tracy amazing? What a remarkable woman, her tenacity, her resilience, her unbridled friendship to Kathleen is just extraordinary. Yeah, and I think what really grips me about this case is, you know, you go back to 2003 when, you know, she was having her own child and the, the medical issues that came with that and that really made her kind of reflect on what she was hearing. And, 
you know, had she had a crystal ball, looking forward 20 years to where we are now, what they have been through as individuals, as friends, the legal journey she's been on, the cost, the price, it, you know, that both of them have paid for what happened. It's, it's an extraordinary story and the fact she is still battling really speaks to her resilience and resolve and passion. And uh, extraordinary friendship. She's going to provide her accommodation when Kathleen gets out. But I think what interested me too was her background in science. It gave her perhaps an overview that other people lacked about, you know, statistics, cause and effect and all the rest of it. And she stuck to her guns. Remarkable. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to those kind of sliding door moments, doesn't it? Like they didn't know what was coming and a lot of our guests, you know, these situations come out of the blue and they end up involved in these very unusual and distressing situations and it changes the course of not only the accused's life but many other people around them. Literally like so now Tracy's gone on to study psychology and she wants to do a PhD and she's talking about really investigating um, the diaries and the language around diaries. So this really becomes not just the case anymore. It really takes over part of their psyche and changes literally the direction of the rest of their life. Thank you for listening to Motive and Method. And remember, if you're loving the show, you can give us a review, you can subscribe to our channel and feed, and you can recommend us to friends and family. You can also set up a bell notification alert so that you'll know first when a new episode is available. I'm Tim Watson-Munro. And I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. <laughs>